you have your Bibles with you, let's travel together back into the book of Mark. Mark chapter 2, the end of chapter 2. We're going to do the end of chapter 2 into the beginning of chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you should see a blue one in the pew back in front of you. We'd love for you to open that one up with us. If you need a Bible, take that blue one home with you. Uh, We love, we love, we love giving away the Word of God. That is so precious to us. So if you need a Bible, if you know someone who needs a Bible, take that one. Uh, Please, please take that one and give that to them or use it yourself. We would love for that to be part of our gift to you today. Uh, So we're going to be in Mark. Mark is towards the back of the Bible. It's the second book in what's called the New Testament. Um, Towards the back of the Bible will be Matthew, Mark, Matthew and Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, that is big number 2, and in a moment we're going to begin big number 2, little number 23 in a moment. Uh, Did you see uh, Ellen DeGeneres this last week, or last couple weeks, did you see her big, I don't know if I'd call it scandal, but she was in the news, did you see that? If you didn't see, Ellen DeGeneres is uh, left-leaning, would you say? She's in the left side of the political spectrum, and there's a big media Uh, storm around Ellen because she took a selfie of herself sitting next to who? George W. Bush. They sat next to each other. What I thought was scandalous was they were watching the Cowboys. That's what I thought was the most scandalous. But this left-leaning figure was sitting next to the right-leaning figure of George W. Bush. And the controversial thing was that they seemed to be enjoying each other's company. How can that happen? How can this person who believes this stuff sit with and enjoy and be kind to the person that believes these things? And they were having a good time. They were having a good time. And so when these tweets were, when, when, he, when her selfie was posted and the tweets made it around, people were asking, how in the world could Ellen be kind to George, and how in the world could George be kind to Ellen? And Ellen made a statement on her show, and she said, well, I think that no matter what our political convictions are, we should be kind to one another. And she got blasted for that statement. From the left and from the right. Of course, if we spend any time on Facebook, we're going to see that it can be very difficult for us to be kind to people who think differently than we do. Anybody else feel that tension? Is that just me? That can be a difficult thing for us. And so the question that it raises in my mind, and I think the question that this issue should raise in Christians, is this. Is there a limit to our kindness as believers? If someone rubs against our morals, our beliefs, our religion, our obligations, or our duties, when can we treat someone unkindly? When can we Decide, I am, your views, your ideas are too scandalous, are too terrible, 
that I will not be kind to you. And as a believer, I must confess that sometimes I can get my ideas and my beliefs that are true and I can grab them so tightly that if you rub up against those ideas, I must confess that there are times when I have been unkind. And I think Scripture is clear that that is not okay. You see, Christians, our temptation is to be quick to forget God's kindness towards us. As Christians, we can be quick to forget that Scripture says before we were in Christ, we were the enemy of God. And yet, in God's kindness towards us, He sacrificed His Son for His enemies. We're quick to forget that sometimes, aren't we? If we understand God's kindness towards us, I believe we'll understand that Christian kindness is a different kind of kindness. That Christian kindness is spirit-produced. That means God the Holy Spirit indwells in us and will produce kindness. This spiritual, spirit-produced kindness is a generous orientation of our hearts. So we position our hearts in a generous manner towards the flourishing of other people even if they are our enemies. We say it this way. Christians, we never have an excuse. We never have an excuse to not work towards the good of others. Why? Because God has been so kind to us. Now, we've got to be careful. Christian kindness, that is, is our hearts are orient, oriented towards the flourishing of others, even our enemies. Now, that Christian kindness doesn't mean we avoid speaking hard truths sometimes. Can that be a kind thing? Can that be a kind thing? If you're standing in the middle of a road and, and the truck is, is barreling down towards you, is it a kind thing for me to say, well, excuse me, excuse me, you might want to, No, kind thing is, get out of the way! Right? That's a kind thing. So, the goal for today in thinking about kindness and God's kindness towards us and how we should have kindness towards others and how that's hard for religious people and Christians sometimes fall in the temptation of not being kind to others. The goal today is to help us see That in our pursuit, in our good pursuit towards obedience to God, our good pursuit towards truth and holiness, in those pursuits, we cannot forget kindness. That to obey the laws of God without kindness is disobedience. Are you with me? Amen. To obey fully, if we could ever, and I can't, 
If we could ever obey everything that's in this book down to the letter, and yet we are not kind, we are disobedient. So let's talk about where this comes up in the life and ministry of our Savior Jesus. Let's, let's go together. Big number two, this is Mark. Big number two, little number 23. We're going to read this together. We're going to take several commercial breaks. Let's start here. One Sabbath, he was growing through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Okay, the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is a day reserved for rest and joy and replenishment in God and His people. The Sabbath was a day of the week designed for our joy and our rest and for gathering together and being replenished in the presence of each other in the presence of God. And this Sabbath day was so important that it made it into the Ten Commandments. God commands His people to set this day aside for our own good and for the praise of His name. And the Sabbath was a huge deal for the Jewish people, and especially the religious leaders. Sabbath kind of was the first step in figuring out if somebody was Jewish. It was the litmus test. If you are obeying the Sabbath, then you are a good Jew. That was like the first step. If you are not obeying the Sabbath, then you're not a good Jew. That was like how people de defined who we were when it comes to God. And unfortunately, what the Pharisees did, these guys who were following Jesus, what they did and what the religious leaders did are what we as religious people are often tempted to do. Too often, we take the commands of God and if we are not outright rejecting them, we use them to exclude people. Or, we take the commands of God and we say, these commands are good, but they don't go quite far enough for our taste. And religious people are tempted to say, I know what this book says, but we're going to help God out. And we're going to take God's law and we're going to stack our own laws on top of God's laws. And we might, we might cover this in language like, we just want to make sure we are pursuing holiness. And we want to make sure we are really God's people. But really, we might couch in that language, but really what we are doing is we are trying to solidify our status and say that we are extra holy, that we are extra worthy people. Look at all these extra laws that we are following. And what we do when we do this, we say, here's what God says, and these are good, but I think to really get to be God's people, we're going to stack all these other laws on top of God's laws, our own laws. What we're really doing when we do that, we are subjecting others to abuse and guilt and shame when they don't stack up to our laws camouflaged in religious language. 
And that's what we see in the Pharisees. That's what we see in this passage. We see the Pharisees take the good law of God that says, honor the Sabbath day. Use it for your rest. Use it to gather with God's people. Use it to replenish yourself physically, mentally, and spiritually. The scribes and the Pharisees took that and said, God says don't work, rest. There's not much details after that. God says that. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're extra holy. And so we're going to take that word work, and we're going to make sure everybody knows what we think is work. And so the Pharisees and the scribes took this good thing of God and they added their own laws to it and they said, okay, here are the 39 categories of work. You see how that's law stacking? God says honor the Sabbath. God says don't work. God gives a little more details than that. But what are the Pharisees saying? We want to be extra holy and we want to make sure you're obeying not just God's law but our laws too. So here are 39 other restrictions. Some of their restrictions, some of their ideas about what will make us more holy or what God will accept, some of their law stacking were things like this. One of those categories involved don't boil an egg on the Sabbath. That's work. I don't like eggs, so I can get all on board for that, okay? Isn't that crazy? He said, if you want to be right with God, yeah, God's law says this, but if you want to be right with God, what you need to make sure you don't do, don't you dare spit in the dirt on the Sabbath. You spit on the rocks, that's okay. Don't you dare spit on the dirt. Why? Well, dirt, if you spit on it, it could become mud. And what might we use mud for? Somebody might walk by and be tempted to take that mud and make bricks out of it and do some work on their house. What's going on back there? Isn't that crazy? But before we heap condemnation on those Pharisees, Church people, can we ever be involved in that kind of thing ourselves? God says, gather together. God says, sit under the preaching and teaching of His Word. God says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together. God says, love one another and serve one another. And that's God's good command for His people, the church. But are we ever tempted to say, that's good, but we're going to stack our own laws on that like... This is what you must wear. Or this is what you must drive. You remember the sweet gal that came to me in one of my churches and said, you keep preaching like that, we might get people here who drive motorcycles. And we wouldn't want that. that may, I'm, a, I'm a wimp, but that made me want to go buy a motorcycle. You know what I mean? Is that law stacking? Yeah, that's law stacking. So that's the Sabbath. That is what the Pharisees did to the good gift of the Sabbath day. That's their law stacking. And guess what? They're following Jesus around. In fact, in chapter 3, in a moment, we're going to see the, the, the Greek 
terms for these, for these Pharisees, the, what they're doing to Jesus, in a minute we're going to see that they are laying in wait for Jesus, meaning they are following him around, trying to discover him breaking the law, their law. So they're following his disciples around, and as the disciples are walking past a field on the Sabbath, they are hungry, they are famished, and they go by a field, and they take a few handfuls of grain, and they eat. Now, and God loves poor people. And so God's command for Israel is to leave the edges of your fields unharvested so that the poor and the widows and the hungry can eat and have something. And so the disciples are hungry. They're walking. They take handfuls of grain. And the Pharisee law stackers say, Aha! We got them! We got them! See, what you're doing, Jesus, what you're doing, disciples of Jesus, is you are breaking category three. You are not to harvest on the Sabbath. We got you. How can you be doing that, Jesus? Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They're breaking category three. Would taking a few handfuls of grain be breaking the Sabbath? No. Would anybody in their right mind think that? Think that? No. Is this action breaking the spirit of the law of God for our Sabbath rest? No. Of course not. But they believe that Jesus has broken their laws which they have equated to the laws of God. Their stacked laws for themselves have become, have gone intertwined, and they believe that they are righteous enough to declare better than God what we do and don't do on the Sabbath. Let's see how Jesus responds. Verse 25, little number 25 goes like this. And he said to them, Have you never read... Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Aha, we got you, Jesus. Your disciples are taking grain and eating it. You broke category three. You're breaking the Sabbath. We've got you now. Jesus says to reveal how wicked their hearts were, to reveal how absurd their law stacking had become, to reveal how unkind the Pharisees are being, Jesus tells a biblical story about King David. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, King David is fleeing for his life from Saul. He and his men are starving. You might recall this story. And David and his followers, starving and famished, they enter into the tabernacle. Before the temple, before churches, the tabernacle was where the presence of God was. 
If, you're a, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've been in church for a while, you know the tabernacle was very particular. This is how we approach God. This is what we do. These are the sacrifices we make. This will cover our sins so that we can come in to God. And one of the particular elements of the tabernacle was a table with bread on it. Twelve pieces of bread that signified and symbolized the twelve tribes of Israel. And it was bread of the presence. It was in the presence of God. And the idea is the priest would once a week come and eat a meal with God. And they would eat the bread. And this would symbolize the fellowship between God and Israel. That sounds like a pretty sacred thing, doesn't it? And only priests ate the bread. But David and his men, hungry as they were, entered into the tabernacle and they ate the bread of the presence. And God did not strike them down. And God did not call them to repentance. They ate the bread and they were filled. So Jesus recalls this story to them and he says, in other words, if God didn't condemn David for eating the sacred bread, God wouldn't condemn Jesus and the disciples for eating the grain. In other words, Jesus says, the Pharisees, your interpretation of the law is unduly strict and it is unkind towards the hungry and it exceeds the extent of the intent of the law of God. In other words, quit your law stacking. In other words, cover your interpretation in kindness for the hungry. And we get to the crux of the matter in this incredible statement. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given to mankind for our benefit and for our good. The Sabbath was given to us to free us from the tyranny of, of weariness and hunger and greed and busyness. It was to free us from these things. It was to aid us in our mental and physical and spiritual renewal centered on time with God and His people. So does picking grain on the side of the road when we are hungry, break this gift of God? Of course not. You see, the Pharisees, in stacking their laws on top of God's laws, were saying mankind was created to fulfill these laws. That God made us so that we will fit and, and we, will, we will raise up the Sabbath. That the Sabbath is our master and we must fulfill those laws and to make sure that we do we're going to add a bunch on top and how can jesus make this argument so confidently how can he do this and not say well this is my interpretation you might disagree but this is how how can he say no you're wrong how can he do that because jesus is the lord of the sabbath he's the boss he wrote the laws he's god he knows what the intent of the Sabbath day is because he wrote the law. Doesn't stop there. Big number three. Big number three goes like this. Again, he entered the Sabbath, or the synagogue, excuse me. He entered the synagogue. He entered a church, and a man was there with a withered hand. 
and they, the Pharisees, better way, laid in wait. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Maybe on the same day, maybe on another Sabbath, the Pharisees laid in wait to see if Jesus would again break the Sabbath. So they're laying in there watching and they're in church. And the Pharisees are in and they think, man, this is perfect. We've seen Jesus heal people before. That's part of the, He's healing people. He's casting out demons. This is perfect because the guy sitting on the third row, he's got a withered hand. Let's see if Jesus will heal on the Sabbath. Why is that a big deal? Healing was one of their 39 categories of work. You don't heal people on the Sabbath. You can heal them if their life is in danger, they said. But everything else, no. Wait till Sunday. Sabbath on Saturday. Wait till Sunday. In fact, there was a debate among the Pharisees whether or not you could even pray that somebody would be healed on the Sabbath. And again, it's so easy for me to laugh at these guys how ridiculous. But my goodness, how often does my heart fall into those same temptations of unkindness? And what is Jesus? Jesus is God. He knows their hearts. He knew the guy with the withered hand. He created him. He knit him together in his mother's womb. He knew what his disfigurement would be. He knew where he would be on the Sabbath. He knew what that man had for breakfast that morning. He knew what the Pharisees were thinking. So verse 3, knowing all these things, knowing that it's breaking the Sabbath that is going to lead to His crucifixion, it's going to be the excuse that leads to His crucifixion. Verse 3, and He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And He said to them, in the whole church, but he's speaking to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or kill it? But they were silent. So Jesus, knowing the, their hearts, knowing their poor interpretation of Sabbath rest, knowing that, that they, are, they are trying to obey the law of God and their own laws and all of this. There's no kindness within any of their system of laws. There's no kindness for people who are hungry or who are broken, knowing that they're watching Him closely, that they have, they, have, they have sprung a trap on Him. He brings this man into the middle of the crowd. Everybody in the synagogue would be sitting around and Jesus and the man was in the middle. He brings this poor man in the middle so that, so that they will be face to face with their law stacking and their unkindness and that they will have to see the results. Their hardened heart. face to face with the consequences of their law stacking, face to face with their unkind, stringent, hurtful 
extra biblical, non-biblical, on top of biblical teachings. They're teachings on the Sabbath. And of course, what are you going to think? He's in the middle. The poor guy's got a withered hand. We're in the middle. All this crowd is there. Of course, what is the beat of our heart? Heal him. Is it lawful to heal this man? Heal him. It's easy for us to complain or to to be unkind as we're typing on Facebook. Or as we're in our cars driving home. It's easy to be unkind there, but when we're face to face with the consequences, things are different. That's why kind churches and unified churches must know each other. Because when we can see each other face to face, it's harder to law stack when we see consequences of our unkindness. But they were silent. Of course they were. Middle of the crowd. Jesus brings them face to face with the consequences of their unkindness. This poor man, if it was up to them, this poor man would go home with a withered hand. They're silent. Verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger. Grieved at the hardness of heart and said to the man stretch out your hand and he stretched it out and his hand was restored the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him is there a bigger there's not there's a neon sign dropping down from God the Father If God didn't want this man healed on the Sabbath, would he have been healed on the Sabbath? No. This man was healed on the Sabbath. So what are the Pharisees going to say? They've got nothing to say. They've got no argument. The debate is over. The Sabbath is a good gift from God to His people. It's for our good. It doesn't break the Sabbath to eat when we're hungry. It doesn't break the Sabbath to work towards each other's good on the Sabbath. Kindness is never breaking the Sabbath. It's to be used for a spiritual, physical, and mental rehabilitation. Sabbath is good. And man, they do, they are just church people, aren't they? I mean, they are one of us. Can we see ourselves as the Pharisees or what? What do they do? They don't get their way. What do they do? They go to the Herodians. They go to the Herodians who are the followers of King Herod who was put in place by the Romans who the Pharisees hated. They hated each other until they had a common enemy. It's funny how common enemies often make alliances with past enemies, between past enemies. Isn't that our heart though? Can we see ourselves in that? So, I'm going to make one observation and I'm going to try to make one application. I think this passage is not just about Sabbath. I think this passage is really about kindness. I think this passage is really about how religious people are often tempted to forget kindness in our pursuit of the things of God. I think an observation here And I think the central observation here is that God is kind and deeply cares for your well 
being. The Sabbath is a gift from God. God's command to his people then and now to hold a day aside for the worship of his name, for the gathering with his people, for the rest and rehabilitation of our minds and our physical bodies and our spirits, that day is a gift from God. God in his, get this, God in his love for us picked up the weak, broke it apart, and gave us a whole day for our physical, mental, and spiritual rest. How good is that? What a blessing. What a blessing. Not once a month, not once a year, but once a week. Rest. The command for Israel and the command for us in the church is for our joy and refreshment that can only be found in God and his people. The Sabbath was made for you and your good from a loving and kind God. The Sabbath is a gift from God and the Sabbath is an example of our rest in Christ. It's an example of Christ's kindness towards us. Jesus says it this way, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon your shoulders and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a direct response to the burden of the Pharisees. Burden of the Pharisees was this. Yes, put this on your back, but it was also... stacking more and more and more laws. 39 categories of work. Details about the proper way to wash your hands before you eat. Laws about who you can talk to and who you must avoid. These are law stacking. Jesus' burden, Jesus' law is the law of grace and kindness. The Pharisees say you are right with God by obeying His law and by obeying our laws. Jesus says you are right with God because I obeyed the law of God and you are with me. Do you see the difference? Now in Jesus and the law of grace, we obey not out of obligation to some external law that we're afraid to break, that will break our relationship with God. No, we obey out of love, desiring to obey God's law that is now written on our hearts. And as the Pharisees stack laws, Jesus comes and he takes burdens away. And so this Sabbath day, this day where we set aside our burdens, we set aside our work, we set aside as best we can our sin, that we approach God, we enter into this rest given by God. As we do this, as we come to church and celebrate the Sabbath together, we are reminded that Christ is willing to take our burdens. Christ is willing to take your burden of weariness and sinfulness and suffering and heartache and loneliness and praise God our sin.
Sabbath is a, is a gift of God that reveals Christ's love for us. And the Sabbath reveals our freedom in Christ. In Jewish tradition, when Moses came off the mountain and, and told the people of Israel what the Ten Commandments were, when the commandment of the Sabbath was read, Jewish tradition says the people of Israel let out a cheer because they came out of slavery in Egypt and they realized that only free men and women can choose to lay down their work. Only free men and women can take rest. Sabbath is freedom. For us in our sinfulness, we might feel restricted in a command to keep the Sabbath, in a command to gather together. We might feel restricted to be separated from our work and our toil. But God's purpose isn't in restricting us, but the Sabbath purpose is given for freedom's sake. This is a gift of freedom. And we are allowed to bask in our freedom through Christ that we aren't tied to greed or wealth or activity or technology or business. Rather, we are not slaves to these, but we are free to lay all those down. I'm not a slave to these things. I have entered into the rest of God. And so the Sabbath going to church, reserving this day for God reveals in us what we are slaves to. What can't you lay down? You feel like you have to work? I know some of us have to. I know that, that works. But I mean, are you choosing to work instead of taking Sabbath rest? What does that reveal about our hearts? What can't you lay down? What we can't lay down for the Sabbath shows us what we are slaves to. So we're going to close seeing the kindness of God. The Sabbath was given as a kind act of God for us. And the Pharisees instead took this kind gift from God and they stacked laws on top of it and totally removed kindness and I think the principle is this, as we see the Sabbath was a gift from God, a kind gift from God. I think the application is this. Kindness must be a filter through which we practice holiness. The Pharisees pursued obedience to God's law about the Sabbath, which was good. But they stacked their own laws on top of it, which was bad. However, their worst sin was that when they pursued the Sabbath, they pursued it without any thought to kindness. We see this all throughout the story. They followed Jesus to catch Him in the act of breaking the Sabbath. That is unkind. They laid in wait on the Sabbath to see if Jesus would break the Sabbath in the synagogue. That is unkind. They demanded Jesus and His disciples not only obey God's law, but their own ideas. Unkind. They didn't care about the, that the disciples were famished. Unkind. They didn't care that the disfigured man could be healed. They were unkind. And our good 
or even misguided pursuit of holiness and obedience, we must never forget the first and greatest religious duty that we have is kindness. It's kindness. We see this all throughout Jesus' ministry. Good Jews don't touch a leper. Jesus touches a leper to heal him. Kindness. Good Jews don't dine with tax collectors. Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. Kindness. In Jesus' parable, the Good Samaritan, the Levite, and the priest were observing the law by not touching a bloodied body to help him. But the Samaritan did kindness. Jews don't associate with Samaritans and women. Jesus shares the gospel with a Samaritan woman at the well. Kindness. The principle is this. We must always observe religious duty through the lens of love, mercy, and grace. How does this apply to us? Does the way I speak to or about people I disagree with reflect the kindness I have received from God? Does the way I speak to or about people when they are wrong reflect the kindness I have received from God? Our church we are following Scripture closely when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to observing the Sabbath together, when it comes to our songs, our pursuit of holiness, our teaching and preaching, but are we reflecting kindness to one another and to those outside? God has been kind to me. He's been kind to you. Let's be kind to each other. Let's pray. Father God, I must confess that kindness can be a struggle for me. I must confess that I feel the temptation when I believe I am right. The temptation is there to act unkindly. Father, I must confess that in my pursuit of you and of your word and of obedience in your pursuit of the in my pursuit of these things, it is too easy for me to slip into unkindness towards others. Father, I ask for your forgiveness. Father, may we be a church that is not just defined by our obedience to your word that is not just defined by our clear and strong doctrinal stances, that we are not a church that is defined by just our holy pursuit of you, but our church is, is defined and known also for our kindness. May we not be like the Pharisees. May we not put barriers in front of each other. May we not stack laws on top of your law, but may we seek to be kind May we seek to pursue the good of one another and the good of those around us. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. We're going to enter a time of decision. I'm going to ask you to make some decisions today. Christian, will you join me in making a decision to pursue kindness as hard as we pursue truth? Christian, will you make a decision to examine ourselves and how we interact with one another and how we interact with non-believers? Are we kind? Maybe you're here today, you're not a believer. Maybe you're here today and you haven't realized the kindness of God shown towards you. And the kindness of God, the Father, He saw, He sees you, non-believer, in your sin. And in His kindness for you, He sent Jesus Christ. That if you repent from your sin and trust in Him, God's kindness for you will follow you for eternity. So non-believer, our call to you is to make a decision to follow Jesus today. It is the best decision I have ever made. And I know that this church is filled with believers who will tell you the same thing. We do not have it all figured out, but we know the one who does have it figured out. So our prayer for you, the non-believer, is that you make a decision today to accept the kindness of God in your life through Jesus Christ.